Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. Wall Street does not always do what you would expect it to do. Stocks are mixed today as investors digest earnings and await the Fed. The Fed Reserve versus earnings. You would think rock, scissors, paper. Earnings may have more power because doesn't the Federal Reserve just do the same thing, keep, keep rates low longer, keep buying assets like mortgages? I picked up a mortgage this week at 2.6%. It's the most ludicrous thing that I could ever think of in the world of mortgages. My father, if he were alive, he'd go, wait, they're giving you money at 2.6%? I'm like, yeah, dad. It's ludicrous, and the Federal Reserve is creating a bubble in the housing market. That's my opinion. The Federal Reserve is creating a bubble in the stock market because when you keep rates low, you make borrowing very cheap. But when you keep rates low, you make returns on having cash in the bank very cheap. And then you have a situation where inflation is creeping up 4 to 6% in some categories. And you got to keep up with inflation, so you have to put your money, your investment dollars in riskier assets. I think in 10, 15, 20 years, if you're in college at Georgetown or college at USC, you may say to yourself, um, back in 2020, did the Fed make things worse or better? The haves, people like me, are getting mortgages at 2.6%. The have-nots are seeing home prices shoot up 10, 15, 20% in most markets around the United States. That's insanity. It's something we we're going to look back on and go, did we do the right things? Was our monetary policy in line with our fiscal policy? Congress doesn't do a lot. They should do more. We should have lawmakers that can figure out how to help an economy instead of how to fight with each other and try to get reelected. People like Matt Getz shouldn't be in Congress because he's not part of helping our world. He's part of helping himself. Now, again, that's easy for me to say and, and call someone else out for their job. But this is a this is a problem. Earnings were fantastic and it's not enough to push stocks right now. And I'm telling you, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Boeing, Pfizer, Visa, Starbucks, McDonald's, ba-da-ba-ba-bop. Those earnings were fantastic. We have a chicken shortage in America. Hello, little chicken. 
and Popeyes is blatantly rubbing it in our face that they got nuggets. We have an ongoing chicken shortage, ongoing semiconductor shortage. We have, I know, I know, I know you're excited by this. Tuesday is National Chicken Tender Day. Thursday is National Chicken Wing Day. I want to know who's president of National Chicken Tender Day and how they got that job because that's a job I could do. So Popeye's is rolling out its own chicken nuggets. New Orleans style chain said that it's nuggets made with the same exact recipe as its chicken sandwich, which in 2019, it led to the great chicken sandwich war. Where 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve's impact on the economy, creating a situation where the rich got way richer. And our Congress can't figure out how to get the poor richer. But we're also going to talk about the great chicken sandwich war. I remember when I was a kid. What's interesting about the chicken wars going on right now, cravings for comfort food during the pandemic, it made poultry so scarce and expensive that some restaurants are limiting or running out of chicken sandwiches, wings and tenders. Um, I know you can't make this stuff up. And you're saying, is this all because that boat got stuck in the Suez Canal? The boat being stuck in the Suez Canal kind of tells you what's wrong with the world. Popeyes has purchased the equivalent of 1 million nuggets. Um, interesting, right? And they're trying to say that they're offering a peace offering. A piece of chicken, P-I-E-C-E. -E. Um, so take it for what it's worth. Wingstop's got a new virtual branding called Th Thigh Stop. Thing Stop. So thigh stop, thigh day. I know you're like, have you run out of content, Rob? I kind of have. Apple's quarter was unbelievable. Google's quarter was unbelievable. We're finding, we're running out of words to say this stuff. Walmart's going to pay 100% of college tuition books for employees. That was a leftover story from yesterday that I want to repeat a couple more times because I think it's a good story. And I think it's something where we should tip our hat and say more employers should do things like that. Apple reported June quarter with revenue record, uh, revenue record, record revenue. That's what I was trying to find. Great margins. Strong double digit year over year growth in every revenue category. Um, iPhone revenue pulled in 39.6 billion versus expectations of 33 billion. So they just pulled in another cool 6 billion on that beat. iPad revenue came in at 7.4 billion versus expectations of 6.4 billion. Max pulled in 8.2 billion versus expectations of 7.7 billion. Services hit 17.5 billion versus expectations of 16.5 billion. So in the quarter alone, Apple pulled in 17.5 billion in services. Last year, they pulled in 13.2 billion. So in the last 90 days, they doubled what they did all year long in the pandemic. Wow. Um, I'm at a loss for words. Apple's earnings uh, were good, but Google's were even better. 
AMDs were fantastic. Starbucks, solid. McDonald's, tenacious. I don't know. I'm running out of words. Yesterday, we learned home prices grew at their fastest pace on record in May. There is some correlation between the housing markets and stock markets. As stock markets continue to hit new highs, I took some money out and bought a home. I'm lucky enough that I have money in the stock market and that I realized at an early age it was going to be important. Instagram rolled out a new safety feature for teenage users. Something, again, that we're going to think about down the road 10, 15 years from now and go, I wonder if we did the right thing. Hmm. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about money investing and more. Um, I don't know. We're not using a lot of adverbs like slow or slowly. We're not using underperformers. We're using outperformers right now. Did you know that the word group is a singular noun in the United States? So I'm just going to leave that there for you. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter at Rob Black Show, YouTube at Rob Black Show. The fortune-making spirit of today's marketplace, the Rob Black Show. Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black. Thank you for listening to the show. England has reopened its borders to fully vaccinated U.S. travelers. Which, how do we know someone's fully vaccinated? Is there a taste test? <laughs> but United Airlines, American Airlines, Delta Airlines, Southwest, and JetBlue all stand to benefit from that kind of headline. That kind of headline should get us to the point of where I'm going, honey, we need to go on vacation. She goes, where do you want to go? I'm like, Hawaii. And she goes, it's sold out. Well, London's not sold out right now. So you put the two and two together, you kind of see how it could help the airlines in the short term. Let's move on. Restaurants are an interesting business. I've been dining out way too often because I'm in the process of a move. And I think I was a little aggressive in stopping the groceries and packing up the pots and pans and I still have two weeks before I actually technically move. So dining out, I'm getting fat. I don't feel like there's a good dining out option for me, but one of the areas that I really like going back and doing is, is studying history and the history of restaurants. Barron's magazine wrote in 1936, Dining out not only for individuals, but also for whole families um, was becoming a thing, was becoming common. And the restaurant industry is, is just – I'm not going to make a documentary on it, but if I were a filmmaker, I'd make a documentary on restaurants and how they kind of show you what's happening in society. And again, this happens all the time in financial news. 
you can see like the length of a skirt, the shorter it gets, the higher the market goes. You can see uh, things like makeup. It sells in good economies and bad economies. It's called the lipstick index. Lipstick sales actually go up in times of recessions because we buy more of it. It's a little bit of a luxury where a woman could feel sexier and pretty, where she may not be able to have the job and the food and the house she wants, but a little bit of lipstick goes a long way. So the restaurant industry is comprised by about, I can think of six traded chains. Um, but do you remember in the last couple of years how the hamburger, smash burger, wall burgers, shake shack, um, five guys, there's this crazy thing in the United States where we became obsessed with burgers the last couple of years. Sales at bars and restaurants in May jumped to a record $67.3 billion. This is, it's a pretty penny what they're making, pulling in in revenue. Americans now spend more money on food prepared outside the home than in, with nearly all segments of the population joining the kitchen exodus. Right now we're seeing ghost kitchens pop up. Ghost kitchens are industrial kitchens where they don't want diners to come in, although they've already started to modify that and say you can pick it up here if you want. And that's pissing off the DoorDash and the Uber Eats drivers because the parking spaces at these ghost kitchens are very limited because they're in industrial areas. You get the idea. In 1935, the public chains had combined annual sales of about $100 million. If you were to adjust that dollar for inflation, it would be about $2 billion. We're now at $67 billion. And that took, what, 85 years? Would you say it's impressive growing from $2 billion to $67 billion in 85 years? I would. Um, a lot of the restaurants from the 1930s are gone. Horn and Hardit, Schraff's, Child's Bickford's. Um, they're just a distant memory of our grandparents. Um, if you take a look at what McDonald's franchisees did in the 1960s, it was kind of a revolution. And yeah, we have made movies about, you know, uh, Croc and how he applied modern management techniques to turn into a assembly line burger factory. Standardization of quality was a phrase that pays. I will admit that when I was 18, out of high school into college that I spent every summer break I could overseas. And there would be a point in time where you're in India or you're in France where you're just like, I want to go and get McDonald's fries. And you didn't realize that it was Ray Kroc in 1961 who came up with that standardization of quality. It's strange how much the food tastes alike around the world. So McDonald's is now a Nifty 50 stock. If you look up the phrase Nifty 50, you could probably invest in those names, add a small cap index, mid cap index, maybe a value index, an income play, maybe some international, and you're done. You don't, again, I'm not asking you to own all 50. But Harlan Sanders is a legend in restaurants. 
he was peddling finger looking good fried chicken in Kentucky's Hill Country since 1930. A Tennessee syndicate seeing the possibilities bought him out for $2 million. At that point in time, 1969, again, he'd been doing it since 1930. He gets bought out in 1969 for $2 million. He had already had 2,500 roadside signs that basically said, two miles ahead, it's finger licking good. Burger King was seeing whopping profits. Jack in the Box, Acme Markets owned Hardee's. A lot of these names... Um, have a regional feel to them. Um, in the 1970s, we would be writing articles. And this was an article in Barron's that hungry for ethnic food. If you want Italian, go to Pizza Hut. If you want Mexican, go to Taco Bell. If you want British, there's Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips. And I assure you, there is nothing Italian about Pizza Hut. There's nothing Mexican about Taco Bell and nothing... British about Arthur Treacher's. And if you take someone from England to a fish and chips place here, they're like, this isn't fish and chips. But it, it's just interesting the way the restaurant industry has changed and catered to our tastes. And it's a big in industry. And I'm okay if you own one restaurant stock or if you just say, I want to own SP 500 and go own some McDonald's. I'm a little bit more cautious when you want to own a specialty restaurant shop because there's not a lot of standardization in it. Um, McDonald's makes their money by volume, volume, volume of the same exact stuff. Um, we know what a we know what a McNugget's going to taste like. We know what a burger is going to taste like. We may not like it, but we know it. Local restaurants suffer a little bit more of we're a little bit pickier, which is interesting. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Questions about how to invest in your retirement? Check out robblackshow.com and get in on the conversation. Subscribe to the podcast and video channels. No one cares more about your money than you do. It's time to start to feel good about your financial future. Robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. Earnings season versus the Federal Reserve. We can't deny that earnings season is looking good from an earnings bottom line number. We can say that there's a lot of questions about the future earnings, but the market seems to be a little bit more focused on the Federal Reserve at this point in time. Let's bring in our one, the only Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Honored to speak with you, sir. You write a page one column that I start my day with every single day. You bold printed what I wanted to see. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Boeing, Pfizer, Visa, Starbucks, McDonald's, all better than expected earnings. So it's a little bit of a cheat sheet to start the day. Um, what are you making of this earnings season? What are, you, what are you making of this market now? It just, it, it feels wild that we're having <laughs> such a good year. Yeah, well, the earnings season has just been spectacular, uh, and there's just no denying it. You know, even coming into the uh, reporting period, you know, facts that consensus estimates were projecting year-over-year growth of just under 64%, and um, and accounting for today's reports or the reports even since yesterday's close, that blended growth rate's now up to just shy of 84%. 
So it's indicative of the fact that, you know, company after company is, is reporting better than expected results. And that's against uh, what, you know, one could say we're pretty high, you know, we're high expectations. And so the good thing is, is that uh, probably the, you know, one of the important takeaways from this reporting period is that you're seeing um, upward revisions to, uh, to, to coming quarters, right? So even though you're going to see a deceleration from, from this astounding growth in the second quarter, you're still going to see pretty solid earnings growth. And that will remain an underpinning factor for this bull market, along with the persistence of low interest rates. So with the Federal Reserve kind of taking uh, the spotlight today, um, what do you make of the Rock Scissors paper argument that the Federal Reserve beats earnings and the Federal Reserve seems to be beating COVID? I never, ever would have thought that a group of bankers across the United States would be financial rock stars that no one could identify in a public lineup. And yet here they are, it's not a cabal, but they seem to be the, the thing we're focusing in on more than anything else. It, or am I off on that? And you're allowed to say I'm wrong. And I like it when people do. Well, are they rock stars or are they cult leaders? You know, are we talking Jim Jones and, you know, everyone drinking the Kool-Aid here <laughs> or, or are you talking the Rolling Stones and everyone singing along? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, the, uh, the fed has certainly, you know, made it, uh, you know, if I can use the word easy to make money um, in the stock market, you know, they have, have maintained this uh, policy of extremely low interest rates at the zero bound, uh, buying a ton of treasury and mortgage backed securities to the tune of $120 billion per month and not signaling yet that they're, uh, you know, on the verge of, of cutting back on that. And, and even when they cut back on it, they're going to be very conservative in, in their, you know, reduction. Or that's our opinion anyway. But so let's just say you go from $120 billion of purchases to $80 billion of purchases a month. You're still, you know, at that pace, you know, you're adding close to a trillion dollars to, to the balance sheet. So, you know, it, it's still extremely accommodative. So I kind of laugh when I hear some of the previews, uh, you know, with respect to today's FOMC meeting, you know, suggesting that, you know, market might be concerned that the Fed's turning hawkish. Well, that's a ridiculous assessment because, the Fed, if anything, might be signaling at a you know, worst case scenario that they're less dovish. You know, when you're going to stay at zero bound through probably next year and and you're only going to maybe taper your asset purchases from one hundred and twenty billion to eighty billion dollars to start, you're not hawkish. You know, you're still dovish. And I think that the market is going to just, you know, ultimately, you know, find that as a reinforcing mechanism to, you know, buy on weakness here and to keep riding the, you know, the adage that the, the trend is its friend until it isn't. And that, you know, the Fed uh, isn't at a point uh, and won't be soon where it's, it's really going to be, you know, a, a hawkish driver of the price action. I don't want to get it too much into the whole secret cabal or cult leader thing, but I do find it interesting that um markets are at all-time highs and the only people i can blame at this point in time are the federal reserve uh, because the earnings are, are smashing spectacular spectacular but that's not driving us today let's change gears and talk about maybe politics um are you seeing anything coming out of washington there's fiscal policy there's monetary policy monetary policy dominated by the federal reserve are, are lawmakers going to help the economy or, or change its tune are you paying any attention to to what's coming out of washington right now well, you know, I guess you could you could add fiscal stimulus into the mix there as, as one of the contributors to, you know, stock market really doing great. You know, I think we've 
have heard plenty of reports about how uh, a lot of the uh, stimulus money has been deployed into the stock market by, you know, a lot of people who decided to stay home from their jobs and trade stocks. Um, you know, it's a debatable point. I know I'm just saying that, uh, you know, you can also point fingers at, um, you know, when you when you throw out this kind of like this blanket coverage stimulus, a lot of people get money that, you know, probably don't really need it. And uh, but it's all it all counts in the sense that they now have excess savings that can be deployed for either investing in the market, trading the market, uh, taking vacations, buying new cars, buying homes, you know, so on and so forth. And and it certainly has been a, a contributing factor, no doubt, to the wealth effect. And you can see that we saw that yesterday in the Case Shiller Home Price Index report. You know, home prices up 16.6 percent on a year-over-year basis. It's a record, you know, record increase for any. Any month, and so that's it's just a, an incredible, uh, you know, example again of how this this you know, liquidity spigot has been been wide open and has helped underpin asset you know values. And so, um, so you know, now we talk about carrying on with the stimulus potentially with the passage of a 1.2 trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure deal, which you know, frankly, it probably would be great. You know, it, it, it's geared toward those things that this country definitely needs in terms of, you know, making sure uh, it's running efficiently and productively and and that investments in roads and bridges and airports and broadband connections, right? So so you have that uh, that the market, the stock market kind of kind of hangs its hat on in terms of another support structure. And then at the same time, you know, you're hearing a, a separate, uh, bill being advanced for another three and a half trillion dollars. And, um, you know, it's unclear whether that all comes to fruition, but it just goes to show how, you know, fiscal stimulus when married with monetary stimulus and the promise of a continuation of, of both uh, continuing uh, is why uh, there's, there's this willingness to continue to, you know, to to buy on weakness. It's why the Wall Street Journal pointed out this morning you haven't seen a 5% pullback in the S&P 500 since, uh, you know, this year, and it's running its longest streak since 2018 without a 5% pullback. So, you know, last week uh, was another great example. We had the, the, you know, the kind of a little washout on Monday morning, and then by Friday afternoon, we're at a record high for the Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P 500. And, you know, um, there's just a really strong proclivity to buy on weakness. And as I mentioned in my big picture column on Friday, that's still outweighing the, the inclination to sell in, into strength with any conviction. And it's making a big difference here to keep this market trending higher. Um, one of the conversations I'm having a lot right now, and a lot of emails that I get from listeners are tied up with the idea or concept of, uh, doesn't this end badly? Borrowing too much money, keeping money cheap. Um, and not really about me and you, because I think we're enjoying the fruits of our investments. But for our kids, the housing costs are out of control. Uh, does this end badly? Or do you think we can soft land or engineer a soft landing? The premise sounds ominous, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, borrowing, borrowing cheaply, interest rates held, you know, at the zero bound for, you know, a long time. And, and you know, when you have a backdrop like that, you're going to get misallocation of capital. Um, and you get people uh, feeling as if they need to be forced into taking, you know, risk that they otherwise might not take in an effort to, 
generate return, right? It's a terrible environment here for savers who are not participating in the stock market right now. You know, um, I don't need to tell you, you know, where saving deposit yields are these days. And even if you look at the treasury market, the 10-year note yield, um, you know, at 1.25% before inflation, right? It's negative when you factor in inflation. So, um, you know, so if you're trying to beat inflation um, or you're trying to just generate some positive, you know, uh, real return, you know, you look to, you know, other asset classes uh, like housing and stocks and whatnot, and you see chasing of those um, of those instruments. And um, and when you get that type of, you know, performance chase that persists for a long time, um, it, it, it most likely will end in a in a damaging way. Um, and so uh, the timing is unknown, but it seems like the uh, conclusion is inevitable. We've got about a minute, so you have to be quick. Any last thoughts that you want to leave us with? Well, you know, uh, kind of a, just geared around the, you know, this idea that, you know, why the market, you know, continues to uh, – to feel like it should buy on weaknesses, right? It just doesn't feel like there's really any um, major impactful issue out there that can upset that bullish mindset yet. And so I think that the one risk we need to be pay, be mindful of, right, is is certainly the inflation risk and it turning more persistent and prompting the Fed to you know effectively you know come in and 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 raise interest rates more aggressively than anyone thinks it will even the fed thinks it will at this point and you know that's when you can get a real turning point for the equity market but right now that's not where we're at interest rates are low and the fed sounding like it's still going to be patient thanks very much it's patrick o'hare with briefing.com a reliable source of international and domestic news on the economies and some markets around the world it feels like the spring of the investment world it's still spring, but you look at the calendar and it's pushing towards fall. Wow, what a year. What an environment. How does it all end? Stay tuned for future episodes. Patrick O'Hare will be there. I'll be there. Find me at Rob Black Show. Find him at briefing.com. A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show. A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. I was definitely this kid growing up. The kid who was angry at the world. Taking a look at the stock market, I don't know if you are picking up today's theme. Today's theme is I'm incredulous. This is there yesterday's housing numbers where we saw weak markets like Chicago and Minneapolis grow at 10% and we called that weak. We saw cities like Phoenix, San Diego and Seattle grow at 25% plus in year over year price appreciation. We're running out of adjectives to describe what cheap money's doing. That's why all eyes are on the Fed of now you just say spectacular, spectacular. It's it's so spectacular, it's two. Um, I'd rather be doing stories about Popeye's chicken nuggets and how good they are and how they're selling like hotcakes, even though they're chicken. Um, there's a chicken shortage, so we're talking about chicken shortages. There's a semiconductor shortage, so we're talking about iPhone shortages. 
we can talk marijuana stocks as that seems to be a area of rapid investment because of the tax taxes it can collect. America loses its moral compass when it comes to taxes. So one more time, let's hit Apple. Their September quarter supply constraints are a concern. That's the only thing you could say negative. Revenue jumped in impressive 36% year over year. $81 billion in the last 90 days. Uh, that's almost a billion a day. And when you go write that down, you're like, dang, man. They're a big company. iPhone sales jumped 50%. Mac sales jumped 16%. iPad sales up 12%. Wearables up 36%. I didn't really see how well their, uh, uh, their newest segment, the tracking technology, did for them. Uh, that's tied into the wearables now, which is kind of makes it a little bit tougher on a breakout. iPhone 12 continues to sell well. You would have expected more of a lull, given that the iPhone 13 will likely make its debut in the next few months. Should Apple stop doing a phone a year? Would it play out for 16 to 18 months or no? Every year, huh? And some people have to have the latest, greatest, fastest, right? I used to be that guy. I never, ever stood in line overnight at an Apple store. But I did get new phones every two years. I think I'm on my fourth year now of my phone, and I'm just old and slow and stupid. And I guess you could say unsexy. Apple's comments about severe supply constraints should hold the stock down. Um, is it could limit upside. Not this quarter. And Tim Cook is considered to be a, a whiz at supply chain. It was interesting when Steve Jobs passed the baton, he chose a supply chain manager over a, an industrial designer. It was down to those two, most people thought. And he went with the supply chain. And if you think about it, how ludicrous is this statement? Tim Cook, as CEO has made way more money for Apple shareholders than Steve Jobs did. And the only person who's kind of similar to Steve Jobs in this day and age, in my opinion, is Jeff Bezos, and he just retired from day to day. And I say that only because of things like the, the speakers and uh, the Alexa commands. Like you could say, hey, Alexa, play Rob Black, and you'll be here in the Rob Black show. Um, that was innovation, and I, I wonder where the innovation is going to come now. Popeye's chicken nuggets, you say, right? Vaccinated U.S. and EU travelers are allowed into England again. That should help the economy. Um, and it, a lot of people look at what's happening in England right now as this is what's going to happen in the United States where we're going to go through a period of spiking COVID cases. And then in about four weeks from now, it should start to settle down. So we're following England by about a month. I don't know about that. What else is out there? Um, Nordstrom's has an anniversary sale. One of the small pieces of advice I can give to you is there's no shame in waiting for those big once a year sales. Whether it's Black Friday for you, Amazon Prime Day, Nordstrom's anniversary sale. Um, I prefer to get my sneakers and my 
I was going to say quilts, but that's not quite right. My blankets, my towels. There's a, a brand of towel that I really like. Uh, it's I think it's called like the hotel brand or something like that. And uh, every year when they're on sale at Macy's, I'm like, woohoo, sweet, new towels. I know you're saying that's a weird luxury for a guy who's reasonably wealthy. I love a good towel. Um, but I like buying them on sale. I like the 50 to 40% off. And there is no shame in that. Take a look at the stock market today and what the stories are. The NASDAQ outperforms with some help from Google. There's a wait and see on the Fed's decision this afternoon. So markets could take a big turn later today. YouTube pulled in $7 billion of business this quarter. Netflix pulled in $7.3 billion. YouTube division of Google or Alphabet. Overall revenue at YouTube dropped 84%. That's unbelievable. For a company that relies on advertisers, Netflix relies on subscribers to pull in $7.3 billion. YouTube's got $7 billion. I would hate to be ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Google's got an in-house TikTok competitor called Shorts, YouTube Shorts. It surpassed 15 billion daily views in the U.S., more than double the 6.5 billion just three months ago. So they got another sensation on their hands. Google paid YouTube creators more than in any other quarter ever. YouTube TV, which is a service I like enormously over cable TV. YouTube TV saw 120 million monthly viewers, up from 100 million a year ago. These are all good numbers, and again, showing you the strength of YouTube inside of Google. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show. If you need a referral to a financial planner, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. An education-first approach to managing your money. This is The Rob Black Show.